0: Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the Double Edge Double Bill. Tonight's films feature an escape from inside Llewellyn Davis. Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. And I am Thomas Mariani.
1: And I am Adam Thomas. I didn't have anything this time.
0: you did I, know. Yeah. <laughs> we are both creatively bankrupt for yep. tonight's episode. We just hit 50 episodes, guys. Look, give us some slack. Right. Yeah. And, you know, 50 episodes, Adam, with our gimmick, which, if you might be new, uh, this might not be the best episode to start out with, necessarily, because it's a bit of history behind this one.
1: Yeah, Uh, I would say this would be the strangest one, possibly, to start out with.
0: Right, because usually we have a topic, and each week at the end of the previous episode, we each have two movies. One has two good movies, one has two bad movies. And we each pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal our fates for the double feature next week. Um, And... In the process of doing that for 50 episodes, we have um, some films that get left in the dust. About 100. It's actually more like 98. There was the week where one of us had our alternate good choice with the other one's alternate bad choice and vice versa. Like the week after. It was the Halloween and the Sam Raimi episode. Go back and listen to those. They're lovely. (laughs) With that, basically, in case you couldn't tell, we had a bunch of films that we never covered um, because we had them as the alternate choice. So this week... We gave a good and a bad choice a redemption chance, uh, where basically I had two of my former good picks, and we ended up with Inside Llewellyn Davis, which was our pick from our episode 27 on the Coen brothers, Um, and then Adam had his bad choice, which is Escape from L.A., which was his alt choice from the Stopian Fiction episode that we had. And uh, it's it's interesting. I think this is something we might want to do in the future. This was a bit of an experiment, because we hit 50. Yeah. Right. And
1: uh, quite a toss-up perhaps
0: our most random double feature ever
1: mhm uh-huh.
0: maybe I uh, think so did you find any connection revisiting these films uh, no <laughs> you know, I, I, I would say I found one connection it's more tenuous but I think it fits validly they're both extremely nihilistic movies
1: yeah okay I'll give you that yes. <laughs> they're they're okay I mean that like you said that's tenuous but <laughs> sure <laughs>
0: yes I, I for sure, um, but I think we definitely you would want to probably do this in the future at some point to give some other movies a fair chance and their spotlight as it were
1: oh definitely, yeah, I think it'd definitely be worth a a second go around, perhaps even a third depending on how far we go.
0: yeah, of course, um, uh, but let's start off with uh, first our good pick, which was inside Llewellyn Davis If I had what'd done. you say you played? Folk songs. Folk songs. I oh, you said you were a musician. To the one I love. C- can I leave this cat with you? With me. I just, it slipped out and I don't have the key. Fire, honey,
1: mm-hmm. Okay, let's hear something. You don't want to hear the record? Why should I? You're here. Play me something. Play me something from
0: Inside Lewin Davis. So, Inside the Will and Davis uh, is a film by the Coen brothers, Joel and Ethan. Um, it came out in 2013, December 6, 2013. You know, it, it, it's it's one that like got a lot of attention at the time it came out, but not necessarily a lot of awards attention. I feel like it's kind of gone to the wayside in the six or so years since it came out.
1: Oh, 100%. In fact, so much so where I thought I'd seen this, and I turns out I haven't. Uh, but yeah. I completely had it confused with, like, three
0: different movies. It it does meld some of their stylistic stuff together. Well, no,
1: not even just the Cohen brothers' movies. I thought, like, for some reason, I'm th- The Place Beyond the Pines was one of them, which is completely different. But, yes. th- and then, uh, oh, hell, one of the James Franco movies, I can't remember what the hell one was. But I completely had it confused. Like, I did not realize that, what this movie was about. I thought he was some kind of poet, which I guess he kind of is. But, yeah, so this was kind of a blind watch for me.
0: Okay, well, uh, basically, for those of you who might not be aware, this is the Coen Brothers movie that stars Oscar Isaac as Llewellyn Davis, the titular character, who is a folk singer in the early 60s when you could actually go to different bars and just actually perform folk songs at that point. Um, But he's near sort of the end of his rope. He doesn't have a lot of money. He's alienated pretty much all the people around him and uh, he's starting to realize that maybe I should get out of the game necessarily, but it's sort of like a day-in-the-life examination of like him going through living in New York and kind of traveling from place to place and being uh, a mooch, I think uh-huh. is the correct term. <laughs> uh, yep, I'd say that's accurate. It's interesting. I remember watching this in the theater, and I remember it was one of those times where we talked about this in our Coen Brothers episode, where you watch a Coen Brothers movie the first time and might not always get immediately into it but it's they're filmmakers that reward rewatches it was weird where I haven't watched it since the theater actually but it was a weird thing where I kind of liked it when I came out of the theater and then over the car ride back to my um, living space at the time I thought really long and hard about it and I realized it I think it's one of my favorite Cohen Brothers movies. And re-watching it, I would argue that stays very steadfast for me. But I, I'm curious, Adam, since you actually have not mm. seen it before this watch, what were your thoughts on Inside Blue Law Davis?
1: Okay, uh, I really did enjoy it. The, the acting is fantastic. The music is incredible. But I think I need to watch it again, because the whole time I'm watching I'm going nothing is really happening here. (laughs) Like, like not much really happens. You kind of just follow this pricky guy around for, like, a week, and then that's kind of it. Like, it ends where it began. You know what I mean? So, but, that being said, there are some scenes in this movie that, A, I was laughing my ass off, and then there's other scenes where I'm like, oh, Jesus, this fucking guy. (laughs) Like... But it was really good. It kept me interested. I'll put it that way. It didn't feel like an hour and 45. So, I mean, it's definitely one I would rewatch again.
0: Yeah, I I think it's very interesting because we have to talk about this is sort of the breakout movie for Oscar Isaac. I mean, we've we've talked about him previously in stuff like Sucker Punch, where... It's one of those movies where you walk back and it's like, oh wait, that's fucking Poe Dameron. I can't believe he was in this before because mm-hmm. no one saw it because it's a terrible movie. A similar thing yeah. is um, he's in the Jeremy Renner born movie, The Bourne Legacy, at the very oh beginning my of it. Oh god,
1: he is, well, yeah.
0: He's the guy who gets blown <laughs> up in the cabin when they're like in the middle of the wilderness for some reason. Yeah. Um, but this was sort of the movie that broke him out and made him a bit more of a star, And it's interesting, of course, given also uh, another Star Wars compatriot of his, Adam Drivers, in this movie. Yeah, he's Uh, awesome. (laughs) He's so so great. Uh, (laughs) But what's so compelling is, I agree, he's very much an asshole throughout this whole movie, and you don't really have, you know, much of, like, to go on in terms of liking him, but at the same time, you're fascinated because he's a super flawed dude who gets Wise flawed, but also doesn't do a lot to change himself at the same time, which makes him, I think, a very interesting character, if not the most likable.
1: I'd say it makes him a very realistic character, too. Uh, I know people like this guy. I mean, I probably am like this guy in some ways, where you sort of get complacent in your station in life, and you bitch about your station in life, but don't really do much to change it. He has an undeserved ego. Let's put it that way. And an undeserved sense of entitlement and narcissism where it's like you kind of fuck over everybody you know <laughs> like in, in one way or another just to get by from couch to couch. But that being said, it's maybe just the way he performs it or something. But I came across like rooting for him at one point.
0: I think it helps also that he's very talented, which is sort of the tragedy, is that, because the big thing that's going on with him is he's been in a funk since he was used to be a part of a duo that was actually pretty big and famous for a bit in the folk community but his uh, partner ended up committing suicide. And so he's been in a huge funk since then. So you can at least see why he'd probably be in that funk and why everybody keeps bringing up, like, oh, hey, you used to be part of a duo, or especially F. Murray Abraham at the end. Oh, I don't know, you know, heart, soul-crushing. <laughs> yeah. we're just like, well, you we should get back together. And it's like, oh. Yeah,
1: that's good advice. <laughs> <laughs> that scene where he's singing that song, I and mean, it's a beautiful scene, and the, you know, the camera's zooming in on F. Murray Abraham, you're thinking, oh, he's hitting him, dude. And then he adds... I don't see a lot of money in this.
0: <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> it, it hits so hard, especially because like, he exhausts so many different options of trying to get around, where it's just like, oh, hey, I could maybe go to Chicago, or especially a soul crushing with the whole Please Mr. Candy thing. It's going to be a p- yeah. pretty big hit, and then it's like, you, you got the royalties, right? Yeah, except he signed off on them. <laughs> yeah, just so he can get 200
1: bucks that day. Yep. <laughs> oh, which you hear
0: like, stories like that all the time about people who were session oh, yeah. musicians and end up getting screwed over because they wanted something quick immediately and how much regret they have about that. Um, but at the same time, you're at least compelled by like the reason he's doing that is because, oh, I need to get money to sponsor Carrie Mulligan's abortion. But also at the same time, it's like mm-hmm. but you also put her in that situation, which by the way, she is fucking phenomenal in this movie. She is so pitch perfect at playing a character that's admittingly kind of shrewish at points but in a way that's super fucking funny the whole bit about like condoms and like wrapping it up in duct tape and shit like that is hilarious (laughs) yeah
1: she almost steals the movie for me yeah she was quite good in it and way to go timberlake when he popped up on screen like holy fuck what
0: right and we've talked about this off mic actually about just in timberlake sort of his modern state has been a lot of just like he's trying to kind of recapture that bringing sexy back era of his career musically and it's not working very well but he's a very talented supporting comedic player when he's been in movies and i wish he would play sort of more characters like this it weirdly feels like he's kind of commenting on his current reality where he's like goofy affable dad type in all honesty because he's totally square in this movie that's Mm -hmm. part of the charm is that he's very nice he's very affable but at the same time he's so fucking corny like when he's talking to and davis and davis is like hey who wrote this stupid police mr candy song I did. (laughs) Right. And he just comes. I wish he would play more parts like this. Just like, go way more and like, lean into the fact that what you are, dude, and I think you'll be a lot better off. And I think stuff like this, or even that teacher, I thought he had a similarly pretty good dorky role in. I think if he kind of leaned into that more, he'd be so much more charming than like, no, look, I'm still hip. I'm still with it. Right. I like what the kids like. I agree. I agree. How about that Coke
1: Zero, huh?
0: Yeah,
1: like... <laughs>
0: you got that sunshine in your pocket, right? <laughs> oh
1: god! <laughs> but he is quite good in this, and, and just that part where he's telling, "Well, I did," and you get to see like the hurt in his eyes. <laughs> he's like, "Fuck, man!" But I, I mean, let's just get into it. John Goodman stole the show. He's so fucking crazy. <laughs> he's out of his mind, batshit crazy, dude. Oh, he fucking killed me. He's like, "You threatened me." I learned what you people might call black magic from me.
0: He's going to put a hex on him. He comes in with the cat, and it's just like, oh, are you a double act with the cat? No, my partner actually killed himself. Uh, oh, sorry to ask, where he threw himself off? The Washington Bridge? The Washington Bridge? The Brooklyn Bridge is where you throw yourself yeah. off. Sorry, no offense, but he's fucking stupid. I just love that he feels almost like he would have been like the grandfather to his character from the big Lebowski who would have taught him everything he knows yeah that's that's what he kind of feels like Mm -hmm. at at the same time and you know we mentioned the cat and I think that's what's very interesting is you mentioned like oh there's not a lot going on I love the Coen brothers stayed in an interview about like yeah you know we realized there wasn't much going on in the story and we were concerned so we added the cat I think it had a lot of plot to it. Which, admittedly, the cat is sort of, like, the biggest recurring motif. And I think it's fascinating, because the cat mirrors, obviously, Llewellyn Davis in so many ways, where he just, like, travels all around, comes back to certain places. Um, even, like, the, the bit where he brings a cat back to the people who owned it, and they're like, this isn't our cat! Almost the identity crisis also going on. Do you see Luell's his
1: scrotum? Cat. Where is his scrotum, Llewellyn? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, you know, where it just goes its own way, does its own thing, is nice to people when it needs to be, but it's constantly running away. Uh, it's completely him. I mean, it's a complete uh, parallel. You know, <laughs> I also liked, uh, what was it Troy? Oh, man, you fucking killed me too. When he sat there eating the cereal, oh, I'm sorry, I was trying to be quiet and that's to not wake anybody. Just him and John Goodman both are straight-up Cohen Brothers characters.
0: You're referring to the guy who's at Kerry Mulligan's, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. All right, right. He feels almost like a character. Like, man, if this movie was made like 10 years ago, this would be Tim Black Nelson,
1: 100. <laughs> percent
0: Yeah, in the, in the best way though. And I think he's, I agree. Like, he's a he's a very fun character. Uh, another one of my favorites, weirdly, especially upon this watch. Um, I I love Garrett Hedlund and how silent he is as the driver guy.
1: You mean Dennis Leary? Yeah, from profile he looks exactly like dennis leary with the goatee and the cigarette and the hair i mean i swear to god he looks like young dennis leary
0: yeah i mean i i can see that but the fact that he just has like such a silent air to him and then when john goodman's overdosing on heroin he's just like he'll be fine let me just get back in the car <laughs>
1: <laughs> johnny five yeah <laughs> how fucking hilarious and it, you know the cop don't touch the merchandise Get the fuck out of here. That part, too. That part blew my mind. He arrested but and they just drive off. (laughs) They just leave Lewin and John Goodman in the car. But one thing, too, I I feel like we got to keep bringing it back to is the soundtrack to this movie. It's so wonderful. And this is totally up my alley with the type of music. I love folk music and things like that. And I mean, this soundtrack is fantastic.
0: Right, and it was put together by T-Bone Burnett, who also did a similar thing with the Coens, with A Brother Art Thou, obviously, which was a huge surprise hit in the early 2000s in terms of like the actual soundtrack. And you can find a similar sort of sensibility in terms of like really getting songs that match any of the situations that go on here. Um, and th- th- I, I agree that like I'm not usually a fan of folk music, necessarily, but the songs here, especially how they're performed in context of the movie, I think are quite beautiful. Like, I've listened to that Fair the Well song, God knows how many times, and, of course, you know who the the guy who plays the vocals of Loan's yeah. former partner is. Yeah,
1: Marcus Mumford.
0: Yes, um, Mumford and Sons, and also husband of Carrie Mulligan.
1: Yep. And, uh, like, would you be better? I don't know what you're into. I mean, I'm guessing, like, K-pop.
0: Exclusively K-pop. <laughs> Exclusively
1: K-pop. Or German industrial. <laughs> um, which is quite a wide spectrum. But, no, yeah, and that song alone, "To the Fare Thee Well, it's... Probably the best song in the movie,
0: and most of them are also traditional songs. Oh. Where the, these are songs that have existed for a while in here. But I think what, what's so interesting about that one, that song, is that it really is—it's sort of the thesis statement of the movie. all of it where it's just like it, it feels like it is the Willens theme song in so many ways. He has to face a lot of just like letting go of people, whether it is his partner or like a lot of the relationships that he's kind of come to know, or this cat in certain situations at the same time. It's a movie about Orga's, a guy...
1: his potential two-year-old child.
0: Oh, God. I forgot about that until I rewatched Whoa, it. Oh, what the <laughs> fuck? Well, especially where, like, he finds out about that when he goes over to schedule the appointment for the abortion and pay for it. And uh-huh. he just finds out from the abortion doctor, like, oh, no, since it didn't happen last time... Last time?
1: Oh, you didn't know? She didn't tell you? Oh, oh she decided to carry it to term.
0: Oh, he says like I believe she went over to Akron, right? And the way Oscar Isaac just looks off in the distance and says, hey, "Her parents are in Akron."
1: So in other words, he knows he has a kid out there somewhere.
0: Yes, and when later on he's on the highway and he sees the exit to Akron mm-hmm. and he looks over at it and just sees like all that could potentially be there. It just it, it represents so much like his lost opportunity as a person. And how yes. much he realizes how much he's just, like, really lost out because of, somewhat because of fate, but also because of his own impulses that completely screw him over at the same time. Especially with, like, the music career, that's the fate thing, because folk music really didn't hit until that exclamation point at the end of this movie. Like, oh, who's performing? Who's the other guy that's gonna be seen by the times? Bob fucking Dylan! <laughs> Is he big in the folk music community? He might be. I think he's done some hits. I'm
1: really not sure. I just don't. You know, I know he's done some hits. Just he never influenced anybody, and that was his downfall. Probably, yeah. But no, I'm so glad he didn't bust that right to go into Akron for a second there. I'm like, I don't think I'm gonna like this if he does this. It just wouldn't have felt right for the character to me. And then when he hit whatever he hit, I think it was might have been that cat, whatever was limping.
0: Yes. I believe it's a cat because uh, you see it briefly when he like has the head. Yeah, like, yeah.
1: I could have swore for a second there he was going to bust a U-turn and go back. And I think they wanted you to think that was a possibility. But, again, I'm glad he didn't. I mean, you spend the whole movie with this sort of self-serving prick of a character. And for them to give him some kind of sweet ending redemption would have kind of ruined it.
0: Right, but I think it works because you see the thought presses Oscar Isaac is going through that whole time of like maybe I should go that way. Sure, I should see this kid obviously, but him realizing just like I probably shouldn't that that kid it gives you that mixture of like he could see this kid, but he realizes like I wouldn't be a part of this kid's life at all. You see all that in his face, and I think well, it, he's it's got a... zero to offer.
1: Yes, you know he doesn't even have a winter coat. Which, by the way, that whole scene might be one of my favorite scenes of the movie as well. <laughs> But yeah, the guy I mean he literally has nothing. You know, he has to go to Chicago cuz he's got nowhere else to fucking go. And because he has to leave Adam Driver's house. So what else is he going to do? Jane won't, doesn't want him to stay with her. He could go, he could stay at those other uh the Gorshik's house, but he fucking pulled that shit at their house, so he's literally out on his ass. This fucking guy. It's like you, you should hate him, but you can't. Because And I think that's a real credit to Oscar Isaac as well, as well as the Coen brothers, you know, obviously they're writing and directing. But Oscar Isaac, to me, I'm becoming more and more of a fan of his. It's not that I never was, but I was just like, eh, he seems kind of douchey to me for some reason. But I'm becoming more and more of a fan of his because he can play pretty much anything. I mean, look at him as the adventurer, like, new Han Solo in the Star Wars movies, or this prick, or... Fucking super intimidating, like in Annihilation or other movies where he's played the villain. I'm not talking X-Men. That was a waste. But he's really good, and he's a really strong actor to center a movie around. I think he's going to be definitely more of a mainstream leading man. uh, Because as I understand, and I think we talked about this, the one movie that came out with him and Olivia Wilde is just a train wreck.
0: Oh, life itself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, life itself has many other problems that aren't related directly to Oscar Isaac. Uh, right. It's weird where you think that he's like the lead of that movie. It's like, oh no, he's the lead of the first third of that movie because it's oh, it's all very interesting. I really want to talk about that movie at some point. God. But that anyway, is super super pretentious. Oh God, you have no idea. <laughs> the Pandora's box we would open. But but yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a real testament to like his both charm and also his ability to portray sleazy so well that he manages to do this. Even, like, the scenes where he's just ran, ramshackling around in someone's apartment and he's, like, making eggs and shit. Oh, he, has, he has so much, like, veracity in doing something like that, where you can tell he's a guy that has, like, a hot temper. But also, at the same time, there's sort of an aloofness, where, like, he has this idea of, like, oh, no, I know how to control myself. He's a guy who lives one, literal like, up to five minutes at a time. Yep. Where he's just like, oh, I know how to get where I'm going to be five minutes from now. I know we're going to be five minutes after that. But I don't know yeah, from she, there.
1: She even poses the question to him. Like, don't you even think about the future? And his response is, what, like flying cars, cities <laughs> on the moon? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> like, like, he just doesn't give a shit. He's moment to moment
0: and especially which just like oh you want to go to the suburbs that feels careerist it's like oh, fuck you what is God, that fuck <laughs> it's, it, it's so great but at the same time you are extremely charmed by him because of his talent and also by just he has this charm that comes through every time you're around him you do want to kind of hang out with the and to have some beers you don't want to hang yeah. out for him much longer than that but he has that you kind got of
1: got hope he's in a good mood before you do
0: oh and that he doesn't say like hey man can I crash at your place well, right yeah. after... that lack of responsibility especially with like him falling behind with the cat there's so many times where it's both the thing of like oh man you couldn't keep that cat out but also I have definitely had moments like that where I've house sat for somebody and like the dog gets out and I'm like doggy <laughs> outside in the fucking lawn or some shit and I'm just like I-, I gotta find this fucking pet it's the one responsibility I have and I'm fucking it up like I, I-, I have had moments like that at the same time I, I agree the well is sort of like the worst parts of us that we don't really want to acknowledge It aren't like monstrous but at the same time are just kind of shitty the parts yeah. that we just don't want to really quite directly face. Because no, we're better than that. Except in certain times, you're not. Necessarily. Right,
1: 100%. Yeah. He's what all of us want to be, but with money. Do you know what I'm saying? No right. cares. <laughs> moment to moment. Having sex and one night stands whenever you want. Drinking, playing music, living on the road, but he's just broke and A fuck up. Dude, the, the biggest thing that shows how much of a douchebag this guy is when he heckles that woman. Yes. I mean, what a fucking douchebag. Because the guy pissed him off, so he starts heckling her. I mean, go fuck yourself. But I will say this, hell of a voice on Oscar Isaac. I mean, he can fucking sing, dude.
0: Well, and everybody, too. Most of these songs were performed live. And- yeah. I was especially surprised by, like, Carrie Mulligan when she went up there, or, of course, the, the obliquely referenced, please, Mr. Kennedy, but fucking Adam Driver.
1: Oh, my God, he kills
0: me. <laughs> outer space! I like, know. <laughs> I know, it's so funny.
1: And the way uh Lewin's looking at him, like, what the fuck is this guy doing? It was so perfect. I definitely need to watch this again, which I don't say about a lot of the movies that we watch, because I'm definitely one of those people who have, like, you know, maybe 10 movies that I can watch on rotation. But for the most part, I'm usually a one and done sort of guy, but I definitely, definitely need to watch and revisit this one probably soon. Um, And for anybody who hasn't seen it, it's on prime. I mean, take advantage of it.
0: Yes. And, uh, you know, I should also say um, we mentioned in our, previous episode about um Roger Deakins being the big cinematographer that's worked with the Coen brothers for so much of their careers but this mm-hmm. is one of the few in the last like 25 years or so that he wasn't the director of photography on his, and you uh, can tell right and it's uh Bruno Debonel um who was done who's a French guy who's done like his biggest sort of start was Amelie and he's worked with uh, Jean-Pierre Genet a lot and um I I love the cinematography here because it displays such a like an interesting perspective on the time and especially it's all from Llewellyn's perspective like I've heard some people who were like around at this time say oh man it feels like such a dark depressing version of what we lived through like people who this was kind of obliquely referencing and kind of based Mm -hmm. on have said as much but I think it's so fascinating because it's so much from Llewellyn's perspective that this is his view on what is a very romantic lively wonderful time because he's not having a good time during it he's having the shittiest time possible and he feels like he's a guy who's like much in the way this movie looks like a fucking old grainy completely dilapidated photograph.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I Man, I but you're right though the cinematography in this is fucking gorgeous and the soft light and everything like that. I mean, it really really works. Cuz even like their wardrobes and stuff don't I mean, they kind of do but they're not really reflective of the 60s. I mean, a lot of people dress like this now. We call them hipsters. Yes. But, um, that soft light in the cinematography really sets its tone in 1961. The way it's shot, the the filter on it, like, lets you know this is a period piece.
0: Well, especially when it's, it's a period piece of one of those eras, like, early in a decade, where right. the decade hasn't quite made its distinctive touch. Because it feels like it's somewhere in between the 50s and the 60s, which is why it's so... Like great about I think what we're talking about in terms of the way it looks and the way that people dress, it's like we're kind of transitioning out of a fifties era, but we don't know quite what that is. And the ringing endorsement of Bob Dylan at the end of that, just it's the signal of the sixties coming in. Oh yeah, and it's also her- of,
1: the herald of the hippies,
0: right? And and that's also the point of Lowell just realizing like I'm lost in the dust. It's just even like, but I love the fact that it's him looking at that guy and he's like, who the fuck is this guy? Not knowing, like, oh, your entire world is going to fucking cave in.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. This guy is now folk music. Expertly done. I really did enjoy this movie. Like I said, it's just, I gotta go a second time, because I think I'm going to really, really love this movie after a second watch. I can easily see this jumping into my top, you know, three of the Cohen movies. Easily. Probably not number one. It's hard to top. You know, raising Arizona for me, but it's definitely going to be up there.
0: Well, I guess those will serve as your final thoughts. Um, and I, I will agree that like I, I really do love this. Uh, this is the second time seeing it. You do notice a lot more details here. You do, see, especially the the moment we kind of talked about where he hits that cat and sees that cat kind of shamble around. It's another example for me of like, man, the Coen Brothers really need to do a horror movie because that feels like an image oh, That would be movie.
1: so. That would be something special. I think.
0: I would really love to see what they would kind of do with that genre. And I think you can see details of that, but this is more in co- concept with the horrors of lacking legacy. The horror of realizing, like, you don't really mean much to the, you know, the the world of this folk music, this art you've devoted yourself to, and also in the process of alienated any of the connections you've had before. So you just end up as a nothing of a person. To the fact where you won't even get into the fucking military because you haven't renewed your license, which <laughs> is such a great little detail as well i know he
1: pays his dues and they won't give him back four hours later <laughs> you you
0: can't repay your dues
1: but by military i mean not
0: really he's in the merchant marines basically but that's the thing is like he can't even get into that lower level rung <laughs> of the military in any regard that the will and davis is so far down on the totem pole but yet at the same time you're in curious about him you're not necessarily endeared but you're fascinated to see him i think it's a real testament to the way the Coens write that character and also to oscar isaac and all the cast is great as you mentioned yes the the soundtrack uh as the kids say slaps it slaps pretty hard is that what they say now uh, maybe i don't know i'm so behind <laughs> age is yeah. coming toward me i've never even heard that <laughs> it's probably what they said like six months ago and now they're saying something oh, okay. else i'm not sure of uh but anyway uh it's it's definitely it's one of my favorites for sure i mean i would still say i agree raising arizona is my favorite or like i still love you know uh, fargo and big lebowski as well but this yeah. is very much in that top five for me especially i think it's my favorite of the very recent ones they've done and yeah so definitely if you have not seen inside the Will on davis seek it out for sure and it got its chance at redemption and now i guess in the case of redemption
1: I don't know that I would go that
0: far. Maybe not. It got a chance to be talked about because it's uh, <laughs> our bad feature Escape from LA. Your rules are really beginning to annoy me. You ah!
1: ran a psycho profile on him using a database of 5 million sociopathic personalities. He hit the bottom of the curve. Catches on quick, doesn't she? This loves a winner. You got a problem with that? Yeah.
0: So, Escape from L.A. Um, It's kind of a bummer this is our first John Carpenter movie we talked about on the show.
1: <laughs> oh, my God, it is.
0: Yeah. We came close uh, with Hal- the Halloween uh, yeah. series, but, yeah. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, bummer. <laughs> but yes, this is Escape from L.A., which is a sequel to his movie from 1981, Escape from New York, uh, which came out in 1981. Meanwhile, this came out in 1996 uh, and is a much more bigger budget affair. It uh, stars Kurt Russell returning as Snake Plissken. And we should briefly talk about Escape from New York, uh, because I will say that is personally my favorite John Carpenter movie.
1: It is not my favorite favorite, but it's in my top three. Uh, i I still give the edge to Halloween. I'm one of those.. I mean, I don't even know if I can say that anymore. Escape from New York might be my favorite John Carpenter movie.
0: I mean, it, it's uh, always, like, for me, it's neck and neck with, like, The Thing. Those two wrestle often. For-
1: uh, it's the, the Thing. Never mind. Yeah, The Thing's my <laughs> thing.
0: I always forget about that, that
1: That John Carpenter for some fucking reason. No, yeah, The Thing's my favorite. Then probably New York, and then either Halloween or even, like, I love Starman. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, Escape from New York was just such a huge movie to me when I was a kid. I thought Snake Plissken was the coolest guy ever. I had a huge crush on Adrian Barbo. I mean, there's just so much going on. Donald Pleasance, you know, so it's like, oh, Dr. Loomis. And then this happened. <laughs>
0: Right, which we should say that, like, the big impetus for this happening was less John Carpenter and more Kurt Russell, because Kurt Russell, who stars as Snake Plissken, was a huge fan of that character, and always wanted to play him, kept hounding John Carpenter, like, let's make another one, let's do it, come on, let's do another one, come on, let's do it. And they finally did it with this one, which um, was not nearly as well received when it came out in 96, it was a pretty big bomb, maybe the big catalyst for Carpenter kind of stopping to make movies, though he did make, like, what, like, vampires, right? Mm Right vampires
1: ghosts of mars and i believe the ward and i right. think that's it
0: right after to be fair that's like a decade in between the uh-huh. Ward and ghost of mars yeah
1: but yeah i think he only had three
0: uh, three more movies after this one which uh
1: yeah there's a reason
0: because <laughs> it's weird that they made this sort of like a bigger tentpole movie because what i love about escape from new york is that it's so much more of like a low budget affair that builds a world so masterfully despite that, like, it's definitely the greatest example, one of the great examples of, like, economy of storytelling, and also of, like, using your limited budget where it really needs to work, Uh because so much of that movie is cascaded in shadow, and you don't see quite a lot of New York, but you see enough to be immersed in, like, oh, New York has gone to shit. There's a lot of
1: alleyways and stairwells and shit like that. I mean, like you said, it feels like New York. It feels like it just got torn to shit, and it's post-apocalyptic, and Great minimal sets, um, and but when they needed to spend the money, they did, like on the bridge scene and things like that. But fuck, <laughs> <laughs> yo, okay. We, the well, fifty million for this went all to set design. There's no question.
0: Well, and also it, the effects for the time.
1: Oh, no, they were not good. I remember them being <laughs> bad then.
0: Well, yeah, but I, I would say they're bad, but also they sort of feel like of 96, like he definitely spent a lot on those bad effects. Like there's it's so Playsta- many. It's
1: shows. so PlayStation.
0: It is. It totally is. <laughs> it totally is. Especially the shark. Right For that great Universal Studios bit that happens. Yeah.
1: Yep. And the fucking surfing. Peter Fonda. I mean, I just wish I could, you know, like reach through the screen like fucking Samara and just punch him in the face. He gets on my fucking nerf so bad in this movie.
0: Dude, I, I, what are you talking about, bruh? Come no, on. You snake plus Oh
1: my big wave's coming. Gonna ride it, hang ten. Like what dude, you're like fucking sixty.
0: Stop it. <laughs> Grow up. <laughs> you fucking piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> this was your pick, by the way. Um and oh, so know. and I
1: picked it because I hate it. <laughs> because when we said bad, I went bad. <laughs> like in my dystopian movies were really bad, my choices. I mean, I had that awful death race, and then this. So either way, I was going to be mad. (laughs) Um, I will say I do enjoy Steve Buscemi in this, though.
0: Oh, he's amazing.
1: And I love Bruce Campbell's little cameo. I think that's a pretty good scene as the surgeon. But other than that, I mean, Pam Greer. (laughs) Oh, how just inappropriate and mishandled. And then... Cuervo Jones, get the fuck out of here.
0: I've seen this before and I really disliked it the first time. Sure. This time upon watching it, I'll say it slightly improved for me in as much as I don't hate it, but it's still a massive disappointment I think because it's, it, weirdly it feels less like a sequel and far more like a remake of Escape from New York. It hits all the same beats of the first movie. 100%.
1: Yeah, uh, th- There's nothing new here and what they repeated, they did worse it's a poor remake it it, i mean even as far as the cast of the the soldiers and the president they're subpar like stacy keach i I don't know if i like stacy keach or not but like cliff robinson is just overacting so bad (laughs) dude it's just a fucked up shit movie the the basketball
0: scene get
1: out of here with this fucking movie man
0: well, I, I think what, what the problem sort of is there is you, you mentioned sort of like, it, it's got like the basic structure of that first movie, but also when it wants to have like the big giant moments, it decides to go in a very silly direction in a way that, I'm not necessarily saying that Escape from New York is a extremely underplayed movie. Like even Donald Pleasant's like one of my favorite things about that movie is going, you're the Duke, you're the Duke.
1: But Well, Donald Pleasance is over the top always though.
0: But but I, but I think what works about that, though, is in earlier parts of the movie, he's not quite that over the top, necessarily. He's a lot more reserved, he's a lot more quiet, and the movie builds up to moments like that. Versus, in this case, the movie just kind of starts off willy-nilly with, like, his whole submarine chase that we kind of obliquely mentioned, where he's going through, oh. like, oh, sharks and shit. Oh, let's go big zany. It, it feels like John <laughs> Carpenter definitely was more interested in, like, how can I go zany here? Because it doesn't feel like his heart's quite in this obviously because of yeah. how much he wasn't so huge on coming back to it until kurt russell fucking strong-armed him into doing it but i'll say you know as much as like i have a lot of issues with the movie around him i still think kurt russell is very committed to that character and does a pretty good job even if it's like i said in a lesser movie i think he still captures a lot of that snake pliskin arrogance and charm
1: oh no he's totally like uh, in character i mean yeah no you could tell that this is his bread and butter. He absolutely loves playing Snake Bliskin. And it's he's you could tell he's having fun by talking like this. <laughs> you know, shit like that. It's just it's totally a field day for him. It's no one else around him is at that level properly. They're either way over the top or not giving a shit. And I think that's where the movie really falls apart. If this was just a camp fest, like clearly John Carpenter was treating it. I think it might have worked, but the whole problem is your main star is trying to keep it grounded in, you know, a fictional reality, but in reality nonetheless. And it's just, it, it's just a mess. The tone is so all over the place here. Like, is it an action movie? Is it a comedy? Is it, I mean, what the fuck is it?
0: Well, what it feels like especially also is this feels around the time of John Carpenter getting super bitter and curmudgeon and it feels like a oh, kids these days kind of thing, where there's so much of, like, a love of, like, oh, why do people have their gadgets and technology and gizmos? What What does that get you? You feel lost from humanity. It feels like there's a lot of that going on here, and Snake is being kind of very judgy in that way about people, whereas what I love about Snake in the original movie is that Snake has... No loyalties whatsoever. No loyalties to nostalgia, really. Just, like, he has a respect for certain people that help him out, but he still is ultimately at the same time. like Because, uh, like, that first movie, it's weird where it's technically an action movie, but it has mm-hmm. so little action in it. It's more of, like, a Western dystopia movie. Or it's just like the man with no name coming in and barreling through these hordes of like gunslingers, or in that case, like weird mutant New Yorkers. Like, that that's what's so much more interesting than. And this movie has more of a direct, like, no, we're zany sci fi over the top, and we also have some satirical elements and uh, fuck technology and these kids. Hang gliders!
1: Woo! <laughs> hang gliders.
0: I, I kind of love how stupid the hang gliders are. That's though. so stupid. <laughs> Where they're dive bombing Disneyland, technically. God sucks. <laughs>
1: No, I I agree with you. It's, In fact, the first one, the biggest action scene I can remember is the bridge scene. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Not a lot of it sticks out. I just remember, you know, loving the movie. But this one, I mean, there's the hang gliding. There's the motorcycle chase. There's the basketball scene. There's just on and on and on and on and on. And and none of it is effective. I mean, the hang glider scene, you remember because how fucking stupid it is. It doesn't work. It's ridiculous, and the explanation for it is even worse. Oh, man, it would take us, you know, two days to get there by car. Got anything faster? Yeah, hang gliders. Good thing there's a fucking powerful enough gust of wind in the direction you need to go. Like, get the fuck out of here with this. It is ridiculous. And thank God that they didn't try again with Ghosts of Mars.
0: Right, which that was originally supposed to be "Escape from Mars" on in that case, and they kind of yeah. rewrote it after this movie didn't do very well. Um, I, I mean, I agree that like, especially people keep talking about like, oh, we're going to remake "Escape from New York," and it just feels yeah. like a fool's errand at yeah. this point because someone tried here and it didn't quite work. Because I think even John Carpenter lost sight of like with that sort of character and that sort of story. It's not about the big action set piece or even that much about the satirical elements The satirical elements come in and out of that movie and it's great more because like snake plissken is this guy who sort of is like an agent of chaos and doesn't necessarily give too much of a shit about you especially if you don't have you know any kind of if you try and present a loyalty that you have and it's actually completely fake that's what's so genius about that ending bit where he gives Down uh, don pleasant the tape is that Donald Pleasance actually has no real loyalty to anybody, but pretends to have this artifice of it. Whereas Snake right. Pliskin's like, I'm the genuine article, and I can do that. Which, I will also give credit, though, I actually kind of like the daringness of that ending in this movie. I think the uh, ending has a pretty ballsy conceit of just, like, Snake Plissken does not appreciate the artifice that these guys are going for, and uses their own artifice of the virtual reality hologram to fuck with them and destroy all technology on Earth.
1: Which is insane. Yeah. What do you think about it? I mean, that's the acts of a crazy person. Yes. But, no, I agree with you. The The ending is the ultimate, like, fuck you, I do what I want sort of thing for Snake Pliskin. But, I mean, they give him the flu. Didn't you learn the first time? Come on. Well,
0: I mean, in the first movie, they actually had an explosive device in him, and they managed to get it out, like, two seconds before as opposed to, yeah. like, this is, like, a completely different case where it's like, no, we didn't even give you the uh, an explosive device, motherfucker. It's a flu.
1: Right. <laughs> and they tell him, you know, Hershey tells him, like, dude, that's not even what they did to you. It's not even real. And he's still like, gotta get it out of me. Like, you don't trust her enough on that part, but you trust her enough to use her hang gliders to go start a revolt? What the fuck is this movie even about? Like, it's so bullshit. It's such bullshit. Like, their ultimate weapon is to do blackouts.
0: <laughs> right, I mean, yeah, I am I agree. I think it, it very much, it doesn't have that sort of solid economic, like, concepts of, like, what exactly is going on, like, Escape from New York does. But at the same time, some of those twists they do on the original formula, at least, are the most interesting things. Like, obviously, um, the... Uh, Travel with the Stars Eddie, Steve Buscemi's character Is very much a take on Cabby. But he's way oh, yeah. more of like a sleazy villain who doesn't actually give a shit about Snake at all, but just kind of like clings on him like a parasite. I think that's a great dynamic, especially. I love the bit where Snake um, is getting knocked out by him. He's just like, hey, yeah, can you believe this is uh, fucking Cuervo's car? Yeah, he
1: lets me drive it sometimes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but he's telling him all this, is Snake is fucking just conking out. I just, I love scenes like that. Yeah, he's or a when he weasel. comes in." To- Oh, he's such a weasel. It's it's so perfect. Or when he comes down the glider and he just fucking falls apart.
1: <laughs> yeah, he hits a, he hits the fucking awning. <laughs> like, hey, Quavo, look, I brought Snake to you. I'm like, what? <laughs> this fucking guy, he's always trying to play an angle and he's not good at it. In any way. Everybody and that's the thing too that I love about his character. Everyone, Hershey, Quero Jones, Snake Pliskin, anyone in the movie just reads through his bullshit the entire time. But he constantly thinks he's pulling one over on him.
0: <laughs> and then when he's like, "You better come back, Snake," after he jumps out of the
1: helicopter. What the fuck?
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, I I love all that shit, but um, at the same time, it makes the moments where like they try and repeat the formula and it fails all the worse. With like their attempt at like the Adrian Barbeau character, for example, fell so flat. Where they try and put that entire arc of her character into like five minutes.
1: Oh yeah, with oh god, what's her name from Hot Shots? Valentina. Valerie- yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, it's five minutes, and then when she gets killed, Snake is supposed to care. He was literally going to leave her there.
0: Right. Yeah, but he suddenly has his conscience. as opposed to, when you get to, like, Snake Pliskin and Andrew R. character in that movie, she has so much character and so much history that she portrays just through the way she, like, talks to Harry Dean Stanton, or even <laughs> to Snake at certain points at the same time, to where, like, when she hands over, she asks for the gun from Snake, and to stay on that bridge, that means a lot. There's so much right. that goes into that, despite not knowing this character that long. It says so much about her, and what like Harry Dean Stanton and all this other stuff. It's almost if like we're talking about Escape from New York a bit more, maybe we should save that for if we ever actually talk about that movie. <laughs> uh, I mean,
1: yeah, definitely, but it's just a far superior film to this basic remake.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, th- this movie could only, almost apply for a remake episode. It's just, like you said earlier, it's the big, a huge example of bigger budget does not equal a better movie at all i mean at all there's a this movie is just so formulaic and such a ripoff of his own material i i just don't understand i i just don't understand why he obviously he didn't give a shit like you said this is all kurt russell wanting to do it and ple- begging and pleading well if carpenter didn't want to do it he's a big like you take it do what you want with it someone else could have done this movie
0: i just want to smoke weed watch basketball and play video games right. That's literally what and, he does now and he's so much happier let him right. do that
1: sometimes be really shitty and mean and other times be like the nicest guy you've ever met you don't know yeah let yeah, him play his
0: synthesizer music he's pretty good at it still he can keep doing that. he's actually really fucking good at it
1: somebody else could have done this and potentially i mean i guess somebody did his name was luke basson
0: <laughs> with lockout Right, a movie he but, literally got sued for doing a rip-off of Escape from New York for.
1: As he should have, because that movie was entirely a Snake Plissken movie. Yep. But it was fun. It was still kind of fun and entertaining. Uh, I mean, somebody else could do something like this. I don't want to see a remake. I wouldn't even have a problem if they maybe continued the franchise, just got a different actor. Even though Snake Plissken is very much, but then get Wyatt. Wyatt Russell was fantastic. Oh, and-
0: you know, do a, yeah. I would love to see like a Fury Road style thing. Mm-hmm. Someone, to, even though to be fair, that's a weird example where that was someone who did direct the other movies and somehow right. did the best job possible of following yeah. that up. I, I um, at like fucking seventy-five or whatever, right. yes. still, whatever still, he
1: is, George Miller still just fucking cranking it out. But you could do another escape movie, and like I said, Wyatt Russell would be a perfect choice. He fucking rocked the shit in Overlord.
0: And, you know, I would almost love to see that, and you have Kurt Russell play sort of, like, the villain who's taken over whatever territory. Play the president. Or the president. You know, I could see that, but I would love to see him more as, like, a sort of Duke of New York type. Sure. I think he could really play a bad character pretty well, and sort of have that confrontation with Wyatt, necessarily. I think. That or could what work.
1: a fucking flip to make Snake Plissken the actual bad guy and the Duke, and then a the new guy going against him.
0: Yeah. Even, yeah, I, I think there's there's Why? so many... Different ways you could go with. That. I agree. I think you could do that. I don't know what. Do, who would you want to get, see do that necessarily, though?
1: Like direct it? Yeah. I got it. I you know I'm kind of on his stick right now because of Alita. I could see a Rodriguez. I think you know even watching like the Desperado movies or even Once Upon a Time in Mexico, he's got sort of the eye for sort of just out there action.
0: I think you're underestimating, to be fair, how much of a hand James Cameron had in helping Robert Rodriguez out, given how much of a golf there was between a good Robert Rodriguez movie before. Uh, You know what? You might be right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I like to lead it, too, but also just like James Cameron clearly had a very big hand in this for a lot of
1: reasons. That's
0: probably true. He could also be on a comeback. I don't know. Let's see the next movie, Robert. But let's see how that goes. Um, but Yeah, whenever the fuck that might
1: happen, I don't see that happening anytime soon.
0: No, not necessarily. But you know, I also wouldn't mind someone, he kind of did this with, uh, he, he's in a bad state right now, but uh, Neil Marshall, since he did that kind of with Doomsday. Um,
1: yeah, I could I, see that.
0: I don't know if he's getting another studio job after Hellboy necessarily.
1: <laughs> I could say it's going to be a little while.
0: Yeah, I I would say so, too. But I think he could do something interesting with that, too. But then again, it's all to say that John Carpenter wasn't necessarily the best person to do that at this time with whatever this was, necessarily. So I guess go into your final thoughts, then, on Escape from L.A.
1: I don't even think of this as a sequel to Escape from New York. I think Escape from New York was a single standalone movie, and I can almost see this as, like, a fan homage movie. I, I don't see this as a sequel I think this is just a complete misstep in pretty much every direction it's it's a copy of something that was already great by the same people who made the original and this is just a complete subpar version that uh, that's not proof that you know lightning strikes lightning in a bottle whatever you want to call it I'm just gonna mix all the metaphors and that that that's not proof lightning built Rome in a day <laughs> uh, <laughs> But I don't know what is because you get the same people with a bigger budget and they can't do it. This is just a complete failure.
0: It's a good example of maybe you can never go home again. Right. Right, necessarily. Um, um, Unless you're George Miller. You can go home anytime and come in and out. (laughs) And completely make it work, you
1: fucking genius.
0: You mad Australian bastard, you can do Mm -hmm. that. Uh, But yeah, I I mean, I agree, because I think it's also... It's interesting, in, in terms of John Carpenter's career up to that point, like, obviously, his heyday was late 70s through the 80s. He was such a phenomenal talent. And I think this is a pretty good picture of, like, a guy who has been beaten down by a studio system with so many different movies that, in the 90s, that were either complete, like, sort of, like, direct for hire jobs that didn't work out, like Memoirs of the Invisible Man. Christine. Christine, Well, no, Christine was in the 80s, though, and I would argue he had at least a bit more of his influence in there. Especially compared to his Village of the Damned remake, for example. Oh, God. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Which isn't even that terrible of a film. It's just bland. he's not in it at all like
0: you said it's a complete studio film there's no John Carpenter in that movie right or even when he did actually get something that like really felt like his own kind of distilled image of like in the mouth of madness
1: which we've talked about before which is that actually might be
0: my favorite Carpenter movie It's pretty goddamn great. It's pretty
1: fucking great.
0: Um, But yeah, when something like that doesn't do very well at all, I think you get something like this that feels like it's a weird combination of like Studio for Hire and also trying to recapture old glory, and it just doesn't feel like it necessarily works at this point. This feels like him on the outs as a director, really. This is him on his sort of last legs, and even those other movies uh, that he did afterward weren't very good either. I would say arguably worse than Escape from L.A., But this was, I think, the big canary in the coal mine of, like, this, he might not be coming back (laughs) after this point. And, yeah, I I don't hate it, though, as much as I did at the same time earlier. I think there's enough little bits and pieces where I don't hate it necessarily. And I would say it's a sequel, I would argue, with Escape from New York. It's just that it's a super disappointing one that we kind of have to acknowledge. I think it's sort of a poster one that we should put up for anybody that tries to do a legacy sequel, which we've been getting so much of in recent years. I hate
1: that term so much.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean... I mean, but it's, it's valid, and I think it yeah. is it is definitely a poster shot like, this is how you don't do it. You don't repeat the same things, and then also just try and gussy it up with bigger effects. That does not a good sequel make, even no matter how long it's been. No matter how committed someone like a Kurt Russell is, it doesn't save this from being pretty disappointing. For sure. And uh, that's the end of our little redemption double feature. Um, we want to read some feedback, of course, because uh, over at the Facebook and Twitter pages at DEDB Pod. We ask all of you out there for hey, what are your favorite and least favorite examples of a topic we're doing? And we shared the list of all those movies that we didn't cover for you guys. And we asked, well, "What would you want to see us cover?" At and some point. you know
1: what? I, if anything shows that you know people care and listen, I-
0: yes. For sure, yeah. because they have our interest at heart, and also maybe just mm-hmm. a curiosity to see some of these movies be discussed. And uh, including from Lance Langford of the Horror Returns podcast, says Cabin Boy. Adam said, Those pipes are clean! Uh, Brian Citrus, also of the Horror Returns, says Boogie Nights and The NeverEnding Story. Anna Robertson says, uh, Lady in the Water, Airplane 2, and Inside the Lone Davis. Um, James Rodriguez says, Bound is my favorite film of the Wachowskis, and I'd love to hear you guys talk about it. I'd also say Night Professor 2 The Clumps because I wanted to hear the reactions of you guys to one particular hamster related moment. Uh, Kara Holden says, From Adam's Picks, Barefoot Hills Cop, Blues Brothers 2000, Stand By Me, Matinee, Tremors, Escape from LA. Um, and then from Thomas's picks, uh, Dreamcatcher, Predator, The Nightmare on Elm Street Remake, Sorry to Bother You, and Nightmare Professor 2, and Tank Girl. Uh, Luke McBride says, Lady in the Water and Star Trek Into Darkness. Brian Kane says, I unironically love Battle Los Angeles. The acting and cliche story beats are rubbish, of course, but I love the many World War II homages, alien design, and the effects work. So, of course, I'd love to hear you guys eviscerate it. And Will Torres says, The Man with Two Brains, or Hot Shots. And uh, Adrian Cardenas says, walk hard and Scarface.
1: Okay. So I don't know what Lance is trying to say with that one, with, with his little comment. Uh, I, I know the movie cabin boy, but I don't know what he why he's referencing me in the quote. So I'm going to take it as an insult and tell him to go fuck himself. <laughs> but everything that people mentioned, I would love to cover. I think there is a lot of good, good films that we've missed. And Brian... No no no. Bad Los Angeles, buddy. Come on, buddy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm not your fan, buddy. One actually I just rewatched recently, uh, James mentioned Bound, which was actually your bad choice for uh way back when we did like the heist movies. Mm-hmm. And I rewatched it recently. I really dig Bound a lot. I think that one actually holds up pretty well as one of their better
1: See, I haven't seen it since the first time I watched it. Maybe it, maybe I should rewatch it. Maybe it'll change my opinion. I probably won't though.
0: <laughs> that back pocket though uh for sure yeah um, maybe yeah i mean yeah and, uh, there's some other ones here like i championed walk hard many a time um i i also would love to discuss like a Nay. one especially the ones i really want to go back to are the ones that feel the most under discussed ones that I just haven't been like brought back up to the table that much, Um, even especially like I, I kind of have held off on doing more 2018 movies since we did two 2018 episodes. But Sorry to Bother You is mm-hmm. one of my favorite movies from that year.
1: I've been meaning to every time I go to something else comes up, but I definitely do want to watch it. And I'm a, I, I'm really digging Lakeith Stainfield right now, mm-hmm. uh, so I definitely do want to see it because that guy is going places. So I'd like to see some of his earlier stuff before he literally blows up i mean that guy not literally jesus he's not gonna die nobody's attacking him but
0: <laughs> <laughs> don't put that out in the ether jesus christ, jesus christ.
1: <laughs> oh. hell very hell, very, hell very. uh anyways i heard that movie goes off the fucking rails
0: it's pretty goddamn great um but yeah th- thank you all for sharing that with us and uh we also want to thank chris oliver for the music used in our show and the intro and the outro listen to more of his music at chris oliver.bandcamp.com Thanks to Emily Skarda for the art for our show. She accepts commissions at 5 with 2 hours.com slash And you can find us on Twitter and Facebook, as we mentioned, at DEDBpod, where we'll post a lot of different things, like links to the episode and, of course, those questionnaire posts. We usually do on Mondays for that. Um, and uh, we're also at uh, doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com for any kind of, you know, just actual written-out feedback you want to do. You can email us over there. And I'm also have my own individual account at not the who's Tommy on Twitter and Instagram also on for that as well. And I do writing at com. And uh, you can find Adam just trying to get his music right down, man, and just uh, get with the folk scene.
1: Don't harsh my gig, man.
0: No, yeah, I have nothing.
1: I have Facebook, even then. <laughs> I don't really do anything on there. So <laughs> don't.
0: You repost memes. That's and show pictures of your kid. That's basically
1: that's literally it. (laughs) It's memes. I repost, you know, when our show is out and uh, the topic questionnaire, and then pictures of my kid, and that's it. So I, I'm really boring. Don't don't try to find me. And if you do, you're not going to like what you find.
0: Um, and we also want to encourage you all to subscribe to us on iTunes and to please rate and review us to give the show more visibility. And we've been kind of, you know, maybe been a bit oppressive about asking our fans to do that, but, uh, someone did. Adam, it's our our first iTunes review in a while. We uh, have it right here. It's five star. It's a five star review from, uh, EZAC0333. Um, it's titled Simply Entertaining. And he says, uh, from the first time I listened to this... Uh, it became one of my favorite podcasts. They deserve every one of those five stars. Thank you.
1: You know what? I'm going to throw it out right now. Hey, BZAC0333, if you can find me on Facebook, send me a message. I will send you a t-shirt. I will send you a Double Edge Double Bill t-shirt.
0: Yeah, we, we do have a limited supply of t-shirts. We've been Limited to supply. With, yes, very limited. I will.
1: There. S- yeah, there's, I think, 20. <laughs> but uh, i will send I will send you one if you get a hold of me on Facebook. send me a message with your iTunes username, so I know it's you, and then uh we will talk. I will get your info and I will send you out a shirt
0: yes, and uh we do appreciate other people potentially doing that um shirt's not a guarantee
1: no shirt is definitely not a guarantee in fact, nobody else gets one. Fuck everyone.
0: <laughs> Uh, no, no. Um, but, uh, thank you all for all of that, and, uh, now, Adam, it's time for our picking for next week, and next week's very special, Adam, because, um, it's our 52nd episode, which means it's the end of our first year of doing the show.
1: So, phase two will
0: start. Oh, how appropriate, Adam, given, what's our topic for that time?
1: I think we're doing... The MCU in honor of A Endgame and B our first episode was Marvel movies, not MCU, but they were Marvel movies, so we're kind of throwing back a little bit too.
0: Well, right, I mean, we did one MCU movie, which was the first Iron Man. That was our good movie that episode. Um, and then Ghosts, right, Ghost Rider Spirit killed all that though. It killed. <laughs> yeah. Right, which I is that part of the MCU? Maybe back in no, the pilot. Oh no, 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 no! It has about as much to do as like Incredible Hulk does. <laughs> with yeah, the but MCU at least it oh, has Robert Downey in it Well, that, that's true And also, they actually brought back William Hurt Which, remember that in Civil War You're like, what the fuck, he's back? Right? All yeah, people? No, 100% I'm like, wait a second, wow, okay It's crazy, but, yes that works. But yes, we are doing the Marvel Cinematic Universe Because, as you mentioned, Endgame is coming out And we're all on pins and needles waiting to see How uh, that first huge part of that series Ends and transitions into the new one um, destined to be the pretty much the biggest movie of the summer, unless Ugly Dolls makes it somehow. It could. <laughs> Who knows? What a fucking joke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but for that, Adam, oh, you have the two good choices, and I have the two bad choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, I will pick a number two, one, and ten for your choices, and same for me. Uh, you for my choices. And so, uh, for me, I'm gonna pick number... Seven.
1: At number nine, I have the Taika Waititi Thor Ragnarok. All right. Which is just phenomenal.
0: It's a lot of fun, yeah. It's your a lot.
1: Uh, number two was Captain America, the Winter Soldier. All right. So, I mean, you know, no big surprises here. No. <laughs> so let's be honest. We know what the good ones and the bad ones are. And I think everybody kind of unanimously agrees. But still,
0: mm-hmm.
1: for your bad... I'm gonna go number three.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, Adam. Oh, no. Oh, Adam. I'm I'm so happy that we got that because at number four, I have a movie that kind of contradicts what you were just talking about because, um, oh, we all universally agree on what the good and bad ones are. I have a movie that we have talked about mutually disagreeing on. Yes. At number four, I have 2013's Iron Man 3. Oh, motherfucker, I knew it.
1: Yep. Oh, God damn it.
0: Yep. Oh, We're gonna do this. No. I recently rewatched that movie, and I still think it's pretty dope. I can't wait to discuss this. Oh, this will be I'm a lot gonna, of
1: fun. This is gonna be rough. I'm gonna shit all over
0: this. Season finale, motherfucker. Shit gets oh, weird.
1: Oh, yeah. No, this is gonna be bad. <laughs> this is gonna be bad for you. I'm gonna get angry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's It's gonna be pretty harsh, um, and then at number seven, I had uh the Incredible Hulk,'cause
1: I kind of like the Incredible Hulk, so yeah, you can go fuck yourself
0: yeah have you watched it recently uh a couple years ago yeah i did too before we watched it recently too anyway uh so <laughs> that is the end of our discussion here for the day our episode tune in next week when we're gonna be at each other's throats and hopefully not damage our guests in the process but until then um let's go ahead and sing our redemption song adam
1: long live the two
0: a man who needs no redemption at the time of recording no, well, we don't. Uh, I don't know that don't Netflix know. movie though. <laughs> what are you talking about? I, I I love a Quiet Place three. It looks great.
1: <laughs> Basically.
0: Anyway, good night, everybody.
1: Good night.